Life is about connections. And if I can be that type of positive energy that connects one person to somebody else, whether it's, you know, in a nonprofit sense or it's helping somebody to promote themselves or get hired somewhere, I, I, I just believe that's why I'm here. You have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. Discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Brought to you by your host, Dorothy Ilson. Hey everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Do Well and Do Good. On this show, my guests are all very different, but they share one important understanding, and that's that achieving tremendous financial success and making a massive difference can go hand in hand. Now, the show is new, so if you get value from this episode, it would mean the world for you to subscribe, review, and share this with anyone you know who would get value from it also. And now I cannot wait for you to meet today's guest. Her name is Laura Gray, and she is the Director of Client Services and Business Development at Maloney & Novotny, one of the leading accounting firms in my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio. Now that is how she does well, but how she does good is really such a beautiful thing. See, she is the founder and executive director of iPride, a self-esteem program for youth based on meditation, mindfulness, fitness, and creative expression. Not only that, but she is also a published author and the proud mom of three sons and three dogs. Laura shared with me that she lives by the mantra, who can I help today? And that energy about her really shines through in our conversation. You'll hear how Laura's motivation for iPride was actually born out of horrific trauma that she experienced as a child. And you'll see how her journey to forgiveness and self-love illustrates really her tremendous strength and resilience. See, Laura has a heart of gold and through iPride, she is sharing it with so many. So without further ado, here's my chat with Laura. Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to have you. Hi, Dorothy. So good to talk to you. And I feel so uh, both honored and grateful to be a part of uh, your podcast. Great. Well, Laura, I'd love to kick it off by hearing what are you most excited about right now? I'm in generally just most excited about life. I am excited about the energy I feel uh, inside, the energy around iPride and the work that I am doing with all age groups. And uh, as a matter of fact, this morning I was just working with uh, an opera company in Cleveland. So we had some fun this morning doing some iPride. Love it. Well, Laura, I'm wondering if you can take us back to the very beginning, you know, before starting iPride. What was your first position when you started your career? My first position out of college, I I went into college thinking I was going to work in the field of communications, primarily uh, television, do some writing and producing. And I, I did some internships and graduated and thought that's not how I wanted to begin my career. I ended up at United Way and actually the United Way in Cleveland, where I worked in the marketing department and did some writing and uh, 
just different newsletters and press releases and just kind of getting my feet wet in the door and really opened my eyes to the world of nonprofit and being of service to others. So then uh, I know obviously now you work for an accounting firm. So how did you end up moving from your position with United Way into the for-profit private sector? Okay, that might be a mini series. That's not probably going to be wrapped up in, an, in a one podcast. But my life, I started at United Way. I moved around the country. I was at United Way in San Diego and got to work with really awesome people that I'm still connected with. From there, I traveled over to the Northeast and worked in Rochester, New York, and uh, got to work with another segment of people uh, for United Way. Ended up back home in Cleveland at United Way, was working with uh, General Electric on their United Way campaign, and they literally recruited me away from United Way to work for them. And I started in sales and then moved into human resources where I traveled the country recruiting salespeople, doing sales training, doing succession planning, taking a look at the overall organizational structure. What a shift. I mean, I went from writing press releases to raising money, to selling light bulbs, to recruiting people across the country to work for an awesome company at that time, General Electric. Was there any part of you that, you know, knew that eventually you would end up involved again with nonprofits? Or, you know, was that always a goal of yours? You know what? I, I honestly don't believe it was ever an official goal. I think it, it just is who I am. It's just who I am. It, it comes out of my heart I've definitely always felt drawn to it. I mean, I was raised in a family uh, that volunteering was always part of who we were as a family and uh, definitely who my parents were and are. Even while I was at General Electric, I still volunteered in different activities. And I can recall a specific example where I was sitting across from somebody it was a large drugstore chain, and the gentleman was talking about, well, we're going to have to get rid of this nightlight, and it happened to be a Disney nightlight, because we want to make room for this. And, you know, he talked about, you know, literally destroying these. And I said, no, 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 let's talk. There's many children's organizations that would love to have these. And I talked to him, like, if you donate it, it would actually be a tax benefit to you as opposed to, you know, just destroying the product. So I feel that throughout my professional career, whether it be in the nonprofit or the corporate private sector, I've always intertwined and, and weaved giving back. That is such a great point that you make because I think it's something that all of us can start to open our eyes to, you know, as we go through, you know, our everyday life. You know, where can we find opportunities for giving that, you know, otherwise might get ignored? You know, I'll give you You're right. Yeah. One one example just from my experience, I used to work at a a startup in the food space. And when we would have extra meals at the end of the week that, you know, were really just gonna get thrown away for a long time, they they were getting thrown away. And I realized at one point I was like, what are what is happening here? You know, this is perfectly good food. You know, how can we get this in the hands of people who need it? And we ended up finding uh, an organization here 
here in Chicago that actually did partner with restaurants and other organizations to take what would otherwise be wasted food and deliver it to homeless shelters throughout the city. And it was really like a light bulb going off in my head of realizing, you know, there are opportunities all around us for how we can, you know, give and, you know, help other people in, in ways that are so simple, but so often, um, meaningful. Exactly. And you know what? I love your example because it really is a testimony to, it takes one person, you know, it didn't take five people to come up with that idea. And, and you mentioned it as a light bulb moment for yourself. And that reminds me of the expression. I stopped looking for the light and decided to be the light. And I just absolutely love that expression. And you're right. And, and, and look at the, the one idea. It took one person to think of it. And so many people's lives now are positively affected by it. I love that, Laura. Well, so I know that in one of our earlier conversations, you mentioned that you actually retired from the workforce for several years to focus on your family before returning to join an accounting firm. So what would you say was the most challenging part of restarting your career? Honestly, getting hired, <laughs> getting hired. I was home, you know, I had, I would say I was on the fast track. I was working for an incredible company at the time under Jack Welch, you know, getting promoted, getting stock options and made the decision to, at the time, stay home with my two-year-old son. And, you know, then you stay home long enough, I end up having two more sons. So 14 years, 14 years flies by. And it's time for me to uh, get back into the workforce. I mean, I was going through a divorce uh, and that was part of the reason, but it was also time for me to re-enter the workforce. Um, I, I, you know, through it all, I, I'm proud to say I had confidence in myself and my abilities, um, albeit uh, they were rusty. Uh, so getting hired was my biggest challenge. I believed in myself. I, I got myself out there and started having conversations with people. You know, it, it always comes down for me. And I think in many cases, it comes down to relationships. Who do you like? Who do you trust? And, and, and you know, that likability and the trustworthiness and being genuine and having a heart. Uh, you know what? There's still a place for that in our business. In our, in our corporate lives. And I think uh, people that got to know me or I was introduced to saw that in me as a person and, and literally took a chance on me because, you know, like I said, it had been a number of years. And so I, I re-entered the workforce uh, working at a, a CPA firm and doing business development for them. So, you know, in, in some cases, skills like that are very transferable, whether, you know, you're selling a light bulb and talking about the filament wire and all these things that I knew nothing about prior, but I'm willing to learn and I love to learn. And so when you're working at a CPA firm, now I'm talking about audits and financial statements. And I don't know, I, I just think, you know, I was just blessed to, uh, find some people that were willing to connect with me and uh, provide an opportunity. I love that you mentioned the importance of relationships because, you know, you hear it said it's it's not what you know, it's who you know. And I think that when someone is looking to make a career shift or re-enter the workforce or even get their first job out of school, the 
power of networking to put yourself, you know, in front of the kinds of people who can, you know, lift you up and provide you opportunities is just really incredible. I mean, when you are just applying to job postings, you know, submitting your resume, it is so easy to get ignored in, you know, in the noise and and in the crowd. And so figuring out how you can develop real relationships and and not just from a, you know, what can I get from this person sort of way, but you know, how can I add value to this person who, you know, is in the position that I want to be in in you know five years or whatever it might be, when you start to focus on building real relationships, you know that is really what skyrockets your opportunities in every area of life. Yes, I would agree with that. My one hesitancy, like so, when I hear the expression, "It's not uh, what you know; it's who you know," I think that lends itself to make it sound like. Uh, it's who you know, like at what executive level. Well, you know what? It comes down to just uh, being real and getting getting out there, being true to yourself and uh, and getting to know people in general, regardless of their level. So like the who you know, yeah, I get that. But you know what? I think it comes down to also knowing yourself, knowing yourself and what are your strengths and just being out there, connecting with people, following through on your word. And most of the time, it, it, it kind of reminds me of that light, that nightlight conversation. You know, yeah, I was looking to make a sale and get more light bulbs into this store. But I, I was so focused when he started making comments like, how can I help him? How can I help him? And, and oftentimes, as we're helping others, we really are helping ourselves. Because you put that energy out in the world, it absolutely will flow out of you and come back right to you. I agree completely. And I know that you mentioned that you do live by the mantra of who can I help today? So I'm curious, you know, what inspired that mantra and how does it affect the way you show up in your day-to-day interactions? I, I live by that. And it's so much a part of my fabric that I, I don't even think about it anymore. I, I, I cannot tell you, I see somebody or I overhear something and I just instantly am, how can I help this person? What do they need? How can I be of service? How can I be of service to this person? And I know yesterday uh, a colleague forwarded a resume that I reached out to somebody I knew in my network. And I said, hey, do you think, you know, if you hear of anything? And, and she said, well, how well do you know this guy? And I said, I don't know this guy, but I trust the guy who gave it to me. And she goes, you, you're just kind of helping this other person? I said, of course. Life is about connections. And if I can be that type of positive energy that connects one person to somebody else, whether it's, you know, in a nonprofit sense or it's helping somebody to promote themselves or get hired somewhere, I I, I just believe that's why I'm here. It's such a beautiful and powerful way to live. And, you know, it's, it's of course, not about figuring out, you know, okay, how can I do something for this person so that they'll, you know, do something for me? You know, it's it's not about, you know, what can you get from doing that? But rather, when you have that service mindset that you're describing so flawlessly, it's 
really magical the way that opportunities will show up for you and and the way that you know when you pay it forward without any expectation of anything in return the way that you know the the universe will bring that back to you correct so that's funny when you say magical because it it truly is and it reminds me of a story when i was coming back no, actually, before I was officially entering or re-entering the workforce, I was out giving a talk uh, at a local organization, and it, it's all relative to how I Pride started, and I know we'll get to that. But I was giving a talk about forgiveness and the power of forgiveness, and after some older gentleman put his hand on my shoulder, he goes, wow, that's amazing. If I can ever do anything to help you, let me know. So a few years later, I, you know, I'm re-entering the workforce. I ended up connected with this accounting firm and it just all kind of unfolded and happened. But then the founder of that accounting firm was that gentleman who put his hand on my shoulder. Wow. I did not know that at the time. He gave of himself. He shared his energy with me. After I just went up there and talked about my story and the power of forgiveness, and it's probably three or four years later, I ended up working for a firm that he had founded. And he wasn't a part of any of that interview, nothing. I didn't even make that connection. And it was actually my mother who said, Laura, that's the gentleman who put his hand on your shoulder. I can't even tell you. I'm getting, I have chills right now even thinking of it. That's how it comes back. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. But if you live a life of service and a positive message and being genuine, I guarantee, I mean, first of all, you'll be better off for it, but it, you will be on the receiving end. That is so powerful. And you're, you're absolutely right. And you never know where opportunities are going to come. I mean, when I left college, I actually was going to be an accountant and I was going to go work for PwC. And I called them up two weeks after graduation and said, you know, I'm not coming because I knew that at least I didn't think that accounting was really going to be what would make me happy. And so I ended up landing at a startup uh, here in Chicago, which really was the launching pad to everything that has happened for me in starting my business and, and so on and so forth. But the way that I got that job at that startup was I needed extra money and I applied for a babysitting gig. <laughs> and the, uh, the, the woman who I was speaking to uh, about babysitting said, you know, gosh, you need to talk to my husband. He needs some help at his startup. And, and so you just really never know how things are going to work out. And that's a beautiful thing. So in your own way, in some way, you were taking a step back out of personal need and so willing to make a sacrifice and it opened a door for you that you wouldn't have connected had you submitted a resume. Exactly. You know what I mean? I mean, it's so powerful. I love it. There's all kinds of stories like this. So Laura, can you tell us the story of how you did first get the inspiration or the idea for iPride? Yeah, iPride. So it is the letter I and the word pride, and it's all about pride in oneself. And it is a self-esteem program. I officially, let's say it came to me in 2011, but I didn't officially do anything with it until about three and a half years ago. When I was a child between the ages of three and six, I was raped by a close friend, family friend who actually was a Catholic priest. And um, so that went on for three years. 
And he had, uh, you know, told me, if you tell anyone, I will kill you and your mother. So uh, when the abuse had ended, uh, part of my own healing that I provided for myself, since I did not tell anyone until I was 32 years old, part of my healing was coloring and drawing and writing poetry and creative expression. So that was kind of healing for me. And then as I got older, you know, I went through bulimia. I went through some cutting if I could find a way to like punch myself or just because I, I, I hated my body. I hated my body. Uh, my body had betrayed me and was the source of pain. And yet I had to live in it. I had to live in this body that I experienced so much pain for so many years as a child. And it came a point in time, I, I decided to stop fighting my body, accept my body, learn about my body And I started to teach uh, different fitness classes. I got certified in everything um, that I could, you know, would come across spinning, step, yoga. And I, I just embraced it. And I started to teach classes about fun. And I would sing while I taught. And so people knew that it wasn't going to be about let's weigh in and let's talk about weight. It was never about that. I mean, you know, so I talk about the body being the vehicle as we travel through life. So I felt, you know, whether you're a Kia Soul or, you know, you're a uh, 75 Chevy with two doors, we are all different and that's okay. And so just have some fun with it. So I pride is comprised of those two simple philosophies. There is I pride fit and there is I pride right. They kind of blossomed and came out of the healing of me as a child. Wow. Well, Laura, thank you for being so open and sharing your story. What advice would you give to someone who is struggling, you know, with loving themselves or accepting themselves or or dealing with trauma. Any thoughts on, you know, the steps that they can take to start to heal in the way that you did? You know what? It it in many ways it's taken me almost my whole life. But, you know what? We do have one life to live, and I am um grateful that I have uh, grown to love and heal and forgive myself. So by that, um, those are, you know, obviously many things. I I forgave the priest. Uh, That was easy for me. That was really easy. And that was actually uh, the step to loving myself because I loved myself enough to forgive him and release myself from that pain. So the forgiveness wasn't necessarily about him or for him. It was all about me and saving my spirit. So once I did that, it was like the release. So uh, depending on the person's trauma, that's kind of the initial step. And, you know, that could take years. You know, none of this is going to be, uh, all right, check this box, check this box, sign here. Oh, wow, you're on your way. Uh, It's not that easy. And I don't, I don't, I would never portray it to be easy. My other philosophy is uh, we all have different pain. We all have different traumas. I never compare pain. You know, I've had women say to me, well, I I was only raped once when I was a student in college. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, I don't compare pain. Your pain is real. And my pain isn't greater because of how or how many times or what age. I mean, pain is pain. 
So I think, you know, if you can start verbalizing things, if you can start breathing, um, part of healing is, is journaling. I do a lot of journaling. I, I, I meditate. And again, this is all part of my process. Uh, my, my particular and specific process in my journey, and it was a journey to forgive myself and to love myself. And I still, you know, every day I start off with some meditations. I have positive affirmations where I will say, I love myself. I love myself. And I think it's important to say those words because a lot of times for most of us, there's that negative voice in the head saying, you're so stupid. What were you thinking? You'll never get that job. And what I've done, I, fortunately and thankfully, I don't hear those voices anymore. I have trained my brain to be my best friend. It is really a an inspiring thing, the way that you took your pain and turned it into you know, something so impactful and beautiful that you can give to these children through iPride. So could you tell us more about you know where does iPride operate? Is it all in schools or are there other places that the program goes? Yes, iPride. Uh, so, like I said, there's two portions. There's iPride Fit and there's iPride Right. I start off both sessions. They're each about an hour long, and they're typically not back to back. But uh, I start off both sessions with some basic breathing, some very simple breathing. Um, you know, there's alternate nostril breathing, there's four, seven, eight breathing. So anyways, I, I teach and primarily I'm with youth. Um, I have been in battered women's shelters and I am in the juvenile detention center is another place I'm at. But um, so we kind of go through some breathing, calm, you know, everybody down and be present because I tell them there's a big difference between being here and being present. So once we realize and accept that we're present, then we begin the iPride session. And the fit is kind of some basic stretching and yoga. Sometimes I have the children uh, bring in two canned foods and we donate those to a food pantry after, which kind of goes along with what you were talking about in the beginning of our, our, our discussion about uh, your experiences and they um, donating a food but the children will use the two cans uh, kind of like dumbbells. So I talk to them about the different muscles and how it's important to love and accept your body. And I tell them that your heart is your biggest muscle. We need to take care of our heart. And of course, a few of them look at me because, and you know, then I'll have a couple of the little guys flexing their biceps. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, this is my biggest muscle. So, you know, we have some fun with that. And then the I Pride uh, writes is the children each are given a word or they pick a word, I should say. They pick a word and if they're not feeling it or they're not sure what it means, then they get to pick another word because I tell them everyone deserves a second chance. So with that, they must choose. So that forces decision-making skills. So they pick a word, then we all uh, take some time and they write, draw, color, whatever they wanna do. And then after they're done, they come up one by one now, if they don't want to, they don't have to, but if they want to, they come up one by one. They'll say their name. Uh, my name is Laura. My word was family. And this is what I drew. This is what family means to me. And the beauty of this with the kids is that they learn how to present their thought, their idea, 
And the audience learns how to listen, not hear, but listen without judgment. And there's no Q&A. It's just, this is, this is who I am. This is what I think. This is what I drew. And then the audience members listen and they applaud. And so they're, they're learning some confidence and speaking skills, uh, sharing their thoughts and ideas uh, without fear of being judged. And it's just a really positive environment. And, and the children just, you know, they're so proud of themselves and the picture. And it's just all to, together, the program, uh, the two pieces of it really just uh, group together quite nicely. Laura, one of my favorite things about everything that you just shared was how you've even woven the importance of giving back into the iPride program itself, the way that the kids use cans of food as dumbbells and then donate those after the program ends. So could you talk a little bit about the importance of teaching children about giving back and how you have instilled contribution as a value in your own kids? Yes, for sure. Well, I think it, it, it is a matter of teaching them. It is a matter of teaching them to give back because we teach them how to read. We teach them how to add. And so why not teach them how to give back and how to live your life for others? And it's so important to do it at such a young age. It's a little challenging because little ones, uh, they have really good hearts, but little ones are also in a me, me, me kind of stage of life. So there's a little challenge there, but their their little hearts are just so ready to learn in general. So if you can teach them about others that may not have what you have and may not have the food and how good is this that we can give back to them, it really is an absolutely perfect fit with iPride. Because if I'm trying to teach the children and allow them to um, get a great greater self-awareness, and pride in themselves and learn some um, self-esteem techniques, what greater way to feel better about yourself or oneself than how you feel when you give to others? I mean, right? So to teach them that and then they realize how it made them feel, that creates a giving culture. And I know with my own children, we are, my three sons, we do a lot of volunteering. We do a lot of work with kids. My oldest son uh, tutors children. We've uh, been out of of service at serving some food as well at different shelters. And again, if they're not made aware or taught, they may never learn how to live a life of service. And it's such a chain reaction too, the way that your parents taught you uh, about giving back. And, you know, not only are you teaching your kids that, but you're also teaching all of the children that you interact with through iPride. And who knows the way in which, you know, that will affect them moving forward. And, you know, if, if they will then go on to teach their own kids. And it, it really starts, it starts with one person. And, you know, that reminds me of that other expression is that you may not know how many, you may be able to count the number of seeds in an apple, but you could not count the number of apples that that come out of one seed. I've never heard that before. That is such a great one. And it really does apply perfectly. I know. Exactly. Well, so Laura, 
In your experience, what was the most challenging part in getting iPride off the ground as a new nonprofit? Part of it for me was because it was so personal. You know, it wasn't like I was starting, let's say, I don't know, let's say a donut shop or something. You know what (laughs) I mean? Some type of business. This is so personal and it really was coming from my heart. And I believed in it so strongly that, uh, you know, out the gate, I thought, yep, I got this. And I made what I thought was the ideal connection. And they said, no. (laughs) And I was literally like, what? What? You know, and it really, I remember the heat I felt that that started up into my neck and went up into my, and, and ended up as tears in my eyes. When I got to my car, I was like, what? I can't believe this. So instead of uh, just kind of sitting back, I'll, you know, like I say, it can either be a stumbling block or a stepping stone. And for me, it was a stepping stone. I, you know, a friend, I was talking to her and she goes, yes, I want you in my schools. And after I got that, yes, it just continued to organically grow. So I guess when you're starting something, especially if it's something so personal, a no is not personal. A no is not personal. And like I said, you can either stumble over that or you can catapult from it. And that's what I chose to do. Being able to push through resistance and you know, not let getting a no early on just completely stop your momentum and make you lose motivation is really, really key. And it's something that is really difficult for you know, a lot of people. And, you know, it's so important to understand that just because someone says no, it does not mean that your idea or your vision is not, you know, is is not valid or is not going to see success. It just means that that one person said no. And being able to let that, you know, kind of go, you know, fall off your back and, uh, and not stop you from moving forward is the key to success in anything you're looking to do in life. No, I, I totally agree with you. There's a couple things that come to mind as you speak, Dorothy, and I, and I really appreciate your insight on this, that when, when you hear the word no, no one for the most part ever learns from an easy test. So true. You gain, you gain growth and the challenges. And the other thing it reminds me of is I know in college, I had a friend who would kind of write the papers, but she would hand it to me to edit. And collectively, we would come up with like this really great piece. And that reminds me of when somebody said, no, I had to take a step back and take a look at it and go, hmm, is there validity in some of their concerns? Because that wasn't my only no. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't smooth sailing, you know, smooth peanut butter after that. There was, there's still a few crunchies along the way. And you have to take that and take a step back and go, hmm, is there validity? Should this be tweaked? And it really is a learning, a learning process. And it's a learning moment if you allow it to be and you remove your ego out of the process. There is no failure. There is only learning. And so, Laura, is there any other advice that you would give to someone who is looking to start their own nonprofit? My advice uh, would be to do it. My uh, Listen to your heart. When the time is right, you'll know it and you just got to start doing it. I It took me like months to do something that now I know how to do it and I would 
I could help somebody else. You know, you're going to just keep connecting and relationships are key. And I say, just do it. Laura, well, thank you for everything that you've shared with us today. Unfortunately, we are running out of time. So I'd like to move into what I call the impact round. So I'm going to ask you a series of short questions. And I'd like for you to basically just respond with the first answer that pops into your head. Are you ready? Yep. Who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve professional success? My father. And who has been the most important person in feeding your drive to do good and make an impact? My mother. When you're having a bad day or you're finding yourself in a negative headspace, what do you do to get yourself out of the funk? Usually sing and dance. And a favorite would be Michael Jackson, want to be starting something. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. And Laura, what is the book that you find yourself recommending to people most often? It's a uh, book by Martha Beck, and it's called Diana Herself. What's that about? It's an allegory about uh, a woman named Diana who is on a journey discovering herself as a woman and her purpose in the universe. Amazing. And Laura, what is the best piece of advice related to success that you'd give to our listeners? Be humble. So Laura, before we sign off, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about iPride, and to follow your journey? Thanks, Dorothy. Uh, They can go to iPride. It's the letter I, pride.net, I-P-R-I-D-E.net. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been an absolute honor to have you and to hear about your story. And thank you, Dorothy. I appreciate your time. Well, everyone, that's our show. Now, before we sign off from this episode, I want to tell you about our free Facebook community. Now, that's where I'm sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. You'll also find in the Facebook group a link to my calendar where you can schedule a time to chat one-on-one about your goals, your ambitions, and how I can add more value to you. I would absolutely love to connect with each and every one of you. So head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook to join. That's dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook. Inside the group, we also host the Do Well and Do Good Challenge. So if iPride or any of the other nonprofits shared by our guests touches your heart, make a contribution. You can use an app like Jing to take a screenshot and blur out any personal info, and then send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co. Your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having in making the world a better place. So how does the Facebook community fit into that? Well, as for me, each month I will be donating 10% of my after-tax income to whichever one of the nonprofits nominated by our guests that you vote for inside of that Facebook group. So head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook and I will see you there. Thanks again for listening.